which is us, right? Us, the rest of the church, everybody else, not the, the main leaders. And he tells them they're not going to take anything with them, so they have to trust to be provided for every step of the way by God. They have to rely on the generosity of others by going up to people's houses. Um, and we kind of get to verse 5. After he says, don't take anything with you, trust me to provide. Verse 5 is, says this. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. What do, what do you think he's talking about there? Anybody have any idea? Maybe I think I think we're I think we're not quite there yet. Um, that's the ultimate desire, however. That's why they're going there to the house. Um, we talked about it a little bit last time, I guess. But um, I, I think the main point here there, there's there's a point specifically for the seventy that he's sending out and these instructions for them. For us, I think the the point is more that whenever we're going to reach out to somebody whether they're a Christian or not, we're going to reach out and try to disciple these people, right? That's what we're called to do, make disciples. We're at whatever they're at in terms of their relationship with God, we're called to disciple them in some way. And when we first start doing that, we want to start out by blessing them. Specifically peace in this case, but we want to start out by blessing them. A lot of people who do evangelism, the first thing they do when they come up to try to disciple someone, is say, you're a filthy sinner and you're going to hell, did you know? That? You know? Which is the absolute opposite of what we're talking about here, where he walks up and just says, peace to this house. Like, he blesses them. And as as you see as we go through this passage, it's just blessing, 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 blessing. He doesn't get to the whole salvation bit until the end. After they've done a whole lot of work blessing blessing these people that's still the goal that's why they're there and i'm sure when they show up they say we were sent by jesus to spread the news of the kingdom but they didn't push it on people they probably just matter of factly hey my name's barnabas because historically barnabas the apostle was one of these people it doesn't say that in the bible but that's part of church history like barnabas the guy who discipled paul remember and went around with him um so, good name. You were one of these guys. Um, now we're all one of these. And so, um, we're supposed to start off by blessing, not by saying, oh, by the way, you're going to hell. Or even by saying, knock, knock, knock. Hi, my name's Nate. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Like, I'm not saying that is evil to do. I'm not even saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And I actually don't see that example pretty much anywhere, except for very specific circumstances um, where it's more of a public thing. And not a personal thing. Um, so he starts off by going up and Jesus says, go to the house and you say, peace to this house. And so love comes first. Blessing comes first. Relationship comes first. Before the whole talking about the kingdom of God thing. That comes at the very end. Which I think is really interesting. Because a lot of what I had been taught growing up in terms of what you do for evangelism is pretty much the opposite of that. Don't bother getting to know anybody or being nice to them. If they're hungry, don't feed them. If they're sick, don't heal them. Don't worry about any of that. Just tell them about Jesus. Wouldn't it be better if they had Jesus than if they had food? And, you know, when I was young, I was like, yeah, man. And, and then, then I was like, 
no, man, like, not at all. Like, because they can't hear you if they're starving. They can't hear you if they're dying. They can't hear you if they're so emotionally wounded and sick that they can't even see life the way it really exists. They, they're not going to hear the message. They're certainly not going to receive it. And so the blessing, the loving, the relationship, the healing, that all goes first, and then you bring it in. Now, that doesn't mean that God might not bring up opportunities in conversation, even early on, where you talk about God a little bit, and that's great. I'm not saying you don't do that. Obviously, follow the Spirit. And once in a blue moon, you might be the person at the very end of the chain of many people (laughs) that goes to them when they're ready. They're just ready to receive God. And that's awesome. It's great to be a harvester, you know? And sometimes we get to do that, and that's really fun. But that, we're not talking about harvesting here yet. We're talking about working our way up to the harvest. There's still workers in the harvest. That's the point, is they're going out as workers in the harvest. But sometimes the harvest is ready now, and other times the harvest needs a little work. <laughs> you know what I mean? A little more watering. Because uh, they need to trust you before they're going to receive something you say. You're a stranger to them. Who are you to them? You need to earn the right to share the gospel with people. And I don't mean that spiritually speaking. You always have the right to share the gospel with someone. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying from their perspective, from my, let's pretend I'm a random, random person out there. From my perspective, I don't care about you. Who are you? Get away from me, weirdo. What do you want from me? Everybody's got an angle, right? And so you need to earn my trust. You need to earn some level of authority in my life where I'm going to take what you say seriously, where I'm going to listen to you, where I'm going to even give a darn what it is you're talking about. You have to earn that in my life. And once you do, once I've given that of my own free will, I am now opened up to receive what you might have to say to me. I may not agree with it yet, but I'm at least going to listen. Does that make sense to everybody? That's typically how all human relationships work. Whether you're talking about sharing the gospel or trying to get somebody to join your Frisbee team or, or trying to get somebody to apply with that, your job that has a cool opening and you think they'd be a good fit, whatever it is, like most people don't just automatically jump in and trust everything a stranger says because we're smarter than that. And most of us have been taught and beat down in ways here and there to realize that most people actually aren't worth, worth trusting. Right? Um, and so we need to earn that right in other people's lives. And so it starts out by blessing them. It starts out by loving them. And so Jesus says, first, you go to a house and you say, peace to this house. And the next verse, if a son of peace is there, a peaceful person, a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Now, that sounds really charismatic. Um, and I think it is to a degree. I think there is a legitimate, you give your peace to someone, and that e- they either receive it or they don't. And if they don't, it sort of comes back in that sense. So I do think that that's a real thing. But I think he's also saying, <coughs> don't push it on people who aren't ready to receive it yet. Don't go up to someone and say, hey, I want to you know, hang out with you or whatever. You know, uh, easy freak, no. I'm not into that right now. I don't want to do that. Don't push it. Don't say, no, but Jesus sent me. Now I really don't want to hang out with you at all. You've confirmed my suspicions that you're probably insane, right? Jesus is like, it doesn't work that way. But so go around until you find somebody who is receptive to you as a person. 
Not necessarily to the gospel. We haven't gotten there yet. Jesus, after all this, he says, woe to the cities who didn't receive the people. Not who didn't receive the gospel, who didn't receive the people that he sent. And so Jesus says, go to the house, offer your peace. If they receive it, they're receptible to you. And you now can have a place in their life. And in this culture, that means a whole lot of stuff. Because it means, I will now let you come and stay in my house, and I will feed you food and give you water. And so the, these people aren't just jerks. Like these aren't, this, this isn't a door-to-door salesman situation, right? This is knocking and saying, hey, I just came to town. I'm here on the Lord's work. Peace to you and to this house. Okay, thanks. So what, you know, what are you looking for? Well, you know, we need a place to stay to do the Lord's work from this town. Oh. You know, and some people might be like, well, good luck to you, clack, you know. Or I suppose they were like stone doors. Slam! Um, but like, others might be like, okay, well, tell me a little more about that. What, you know, and maybe the person's like, well, I don't know about this, but they seem genuine. And, and I have a social obligation to provide for wanderers and strangers and sojourners in this area. And so I'm going to be hospitable and do that. Hospitality was huge in this first century culture. And so by, by accepting that the person's peace who just came to the door and now feeding them and giving them a place to stay, I am fulfilling social responsibilities but also serving the Lord because the Lord said, do this. Be hospitable. Bless the sojourner and all this stuff. They say they're here on the Lord's work. Okay, I better do it. There was also a very strong concept that they might be an angel. That was a thing. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? They, they might be angels. It happened to Abraham. It happened a few other times um, where angels in disguise came to people, and you better treat them right. Because later on in the Bible, it says that God smote Sodom and Gomorrah because they weren't hospitable to the angels God sent them. And instead, they responded with, extreme violence and evil. Um, and so hospitality was a very big deal in the first, in the first century context. And, so, and it's very humbling for these people from the church to be sent out and say, you now have to come under another household. You have to receive what they give you in food and all this kind of stuff. It's very humbling. You're not going in there as, I'm the big preacher. Everybody follow me. You're coming in as, I need a place to stay. I need some food. I literally have no money because my boss wouldn't let me bring any. You know, the prophet guy, who I'll tell you about later. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's not the way we tend to do things in America. It's very humble, and you bless first. You, you give peace first. And it's, it's an interesting way to do it. And I, I would argue it's a better way to do it, since Jesus is telling us to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are. It is. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. Peace is contagious. Antagonism is also contagious. But I think peace is stronger. And so, so many evangelists that I know offer operate on a pretty antagonistic approach and i'm like that really literally seems like the opposite of what jesus is saying right no you start in peace there's no antagonism you come to the point where they're like we need to know man we need to know what 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 is this jesus thing about we got to know okay
I'm getting ahead of myself. So we start with the piece. Yeah. Yes. One of my favorite verses. <laughs> That's a good example. So true. It's easy. It's easy for many of us, me in particular, being a little more type A. It's easy to see someone as a project, as opposed to a person. And if you, if your personality is such that they have to start as a project, and then you pray about them enough that you get that love, and then they're a person. Okay, that's better than nothing. Um, but yeah, these are these are real people. And I, I love what you said about the kindness and complimenting people is great. That's not cheap. That's that's good. That's a, everybody likes to be complimented. That's a good way to, to start conversations or to build relationships with somebody you already have. Spending money is another one. The Bible says use worldly wealth to gain friends so that through them you can store up for eternal life. So that means literally buy people off <laughs> so that they like you enough that they're willing to listen to the gospel. They get saved, and then in heaven it's like, hey, they're here because of you. Because you spent money on them. That's a great investment. And I mean that. Like, buy, bring, invite people over to your house and cook them food. That's spending money on them, right? And, you know, when we've done that, we don't do $5 pizza. We get something nice. Nicer pizza, maybe. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or, like, I remember one time we had somebody over and we had steaks. And they're just like, this is crazy. I, I haven't had a ribeye in years, you know, type of thing. And, and like, th- that's a great investment. That's a great way to spend money. And, and people are like, whoa, these people are nice, you know. It's, it's amazing how much better, we would, better off we would be at the ter- as the church if we would just be nice. Like, that should be, duh. But, like, so often, sadly, Christians aren't that nice. And certainly our rep out there on the street is not that. Christians, what are the first five things you think of when you think of Christians? Nice is not going to make the list. 
Peaceful is not going to make the list. Kind is not going to make the list. Generous is not going to make the list. And that's wrong. We need to change that narrative by being what it is Jesus has called us to be. Because I think eventually, because it used to be that if you say, what are Christians like? What are churches like? That's what people would say. Oh, they take care of people. They help the poor. Like, because that's what the church did. And that's not what people say anymore because we've dropped the ball. We're, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're, we've gotten too inward focused and we're, oh, woe is me. Poor us. We're, we're being persecuted. And oh, it's so sad in this country. And those darn politicians, you know. Okay, I'm getting off track. But uh, the point is we're supposed to be outward focused, not inward focused. We're supposed to focus on the Lord and on the harvest and not on how terrible things are around here. And be so negative. Instead, we're supposed to be peaceful, which is the opposite of negativity. Um, so it says a lot about how important it is. And I, I talk a lot about peace. I'll probably preach about it again in a, in a few weeks or a month, um, about how important it is to live in the peace of Christ. Because remember when Jesus said to the storm, peace, be still, and the storm stopped? Okay? When we live in the peace of Christ, that's very, very powerful. And these folks are using that peace now. As they go from house to house, they say peace to this house. And that's a real thing. And it can change the situation. It can open up doors for them. And you don't always have to say the word. You can just, that's something you carry. Um, But it says a lot about what Jesus expects of them in terms of living in his peace. He expects that they're already going to be doing that, despite the fact that he's sending them out like sheep among wolves, which doesn't sound that peaceful. Yet what's the first thing they do when they show up? Peace. We're not going to give in to this whole fight between us and the wolves thing. We're just going to be about peace. And so if a sign of peace is there, they'll let you in. You, you're with them. Um, verse 7. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the labor deserves his, laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Uh, so remain in the same house. I think that's, that's important. If someone is open to you at work or your neighbor or something like that, if you're like, I think there's some openness, I think there's some receptivity here, I think they're a person of peace, stick with it. <laughs> Persevere, as Jacob was saying, through that relationship because sometimes it takes a while. It might take weeks, months, years of loving on someone before they really open up to be able to receive you. And so I think that word just remain, remain in that house. When God calls you to someone that you're supposed to disciple, keep doing it until you feel like God has released you. Don't give up. Oh, this isn't working. You know, I hit a wall. They're receptive, but there's something going on. No, stay with it. Keep going. And it's true with people in our own family or people God has called us to remain. That, that word remain really struck me as I, was, as I was studying this. For us, I think that's an important thing sometimes when it's easy to be like, all right, well, I'm going to move on and do something more productive with some of my time or whatever, but if God has called you to a person, remain. And be willing to remain. You can tell them, God, I'd prefer this speed up, or I'd prefer something move, but I'm going to do this for 50 years or till I die, whichever comes first. If you're calling me to this person, I'm not going to give up on them. Because guess what? God didn't give up on you. He's not giving up on that guy or that gal, right? (laughs) My father's uncle, my great uncle, he's 95, 98 now, that's right. Yeah, 98 now. And uh, he's getting closer to the Lord. Every time I talk to him, it seems like he's getting a little closer, which is the opposite of what you'd expect. Because all his life, he's been, World War II. 
there's no God. Okay? Because he was served, you know. He's like, there's no God. Um, But the older he gets, for some reason, God is softening him. God's been after that guy for 98 years. God is very patient. And so when God calls us to do something, he expects us to join him in that, to rest in God's patience and perseverance and keep praying for them, keep loving them, keep after them, and not give up Um, because that's what he does for us, and that's what he expects of us um, when it comes to other people. Um, So that that idea of remain, I think, is really important. There were a few other issues as to why Jesus said that. It would be dishonoring on that family if they stayed there for a few days and then moved to another house to stay, especially in that first century culture. It's like, well, I guess our food wasn't good enough or we weren't providing well enough. They had to go to another house. Like that would, that would not be honoring to them um, at all. And so that, that's an important lesson too, although that doesn't really exist in our culture so much anymore. The idea of honor these people that you are with, that you are discipling, that you are trying to reach. Honor them. Don't dishonor them. Don't make fun of them. Don't talk down to them, even behind their back or whatever. Like, honor them. And don't, don't allow them to get any sort of repro- reproach um, because of what you're doing, which is, I think that's a really important thing. Um, so continue to be a blessing to that person. And strategy-wise, this can be very, very smart because God will lead you to a person, let's say, at your workplace or something like that, who might be this person of peace. They might be a key person that you could invest 100% into them, and in the long run, it'll be better for everybody because once they get saved, their family does, and then this and then that. And then sometimes it's like dominoes. New Christians are the best evangelists that exists. Like, we, we may or may not be great evangelists, but new Christians are always awesome. Because they're so excited that they're forgiven, and they never, never experienced that before, and it's fantastic. And they, have to, they can't help it. They have to tell people. And so we, sometimes it might feel like, oh, uh, I'm spending all my time on this person or whatever. Um, but that's probably God's strategy. He's probably doing that intentionally um, because that's the key person, the strategic person. That's the, that's the Zacchaeus. That's the woman at the well. Jesus invested all his time into that woman who I guarantee you no one else was investing any time in in a positive way. Um, She gets saved, goes back as a prophet to her whole town. They all come to Jesus. The only town in the New Testament that all came to Jesus, a Samaritan town, which is crazy, absolutely crazy, all because he invested in that one person who was just a little bit receptive when he went to get a drink. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. Yep. Love, love is always true and always active, but in this, in this section when it comes to discipleship and stuff peace is really i think the key um the key fruit of the spirit that needs to be active yeah (laughs) i'm trying to think of whether there's an example of tough peace maybe letting letting somebody hit you instead of fighting them or something like that maybe that'd be tough peace but i don't know it'd be tough for me to take a hit um yes to what you said and and that's that's true in verse seven too 
because he says, eating and drinking what they provide. And then again in verse 8, so he says, eating and drinking what they provide. Again, in verse 8, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So two verses in a row, eat what is set before you. We talked about this before, that they're going from part Samaritan village to part Samaritan village on the way to Jerusalem. A lot of these people are not Jews. Some of the houses they're going to be invited into don't eat kosher. And so by saying eat whatever they provide you, that is allowing peace to reign as opposed to disunity. Oh, well, we can't eat that. Oh, it's not like they're going to say, oh, okay, well, good for you, you know, uh, live and let live like we are in America today. I'm fruitarian and I'm vegetarian and I'm non-glucose and gl- gl- something or th- whatever. And, and it's like, hey, we could just all be whatever and we can all get along. Like at that point, this was like wars were fought over whether or not you could eat pigs. I mean, it was craziness, right? And, and, and it, if I say, oh, I can't eat that, God doesn't allow it, that implies you're a terrible person because you do, right? So that's not peace, and so Jesus says, no, you eat what they provide you. And I guarantee you this was the hardest thing he told them to do. Because go out there like sheep among wolves. That sounds scary, but I can handle it. God will protect me. Don't bring any money. Don't bring anything. Ooh, that's going to be really challenging. But I think I can do it. Eat non-kosher food. No. Remember Peter, after Jesus... After the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit comes, God gives him a vision of unclean animals and says, kill and eat. And after all that, he still says, no. He's in the middle of a vision. And God says, do this. And he says, nope. So, like, this is a big deal. When Jesus says, eat whatever is set before you, I guarantee you this is the hardest thing they've probably ever done in their lives. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if a lot of this would have been offered to idols because Samaritans actually worship Jehovah too. They just, it was like Lutherans versus Baptists. I mean, we think of it as like a holy war. Like, they were Muslims and, and we were Christians. It was like, they, they pretty much also worshiped God, most of them. They just had a fight way back in the day over where they, where they had to do it. Do you have to do it in Jerusalem or can you do it in your own town? To a degree, to a degree, but I mean, they, they all came from the 12 tribes. At one point, yeah. And even, even some of the tribes that didn't, you know, Edom and all those kind of, they all still were children of Abraham. I mean, it's crazy how racist these people were. <laughs> because, like, if you, if you come up with, even if you came from the same place, if for 400 years you've been different, that turns into a different tribe. It turns into a different race. It turns into a different nation. So it's kind of like that. You know, we could look back and say, well, they all have the same parents back here. But to them, that's not true anymore. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm amazed when I hear Christians talk about how there's so many Muslims in the Twin Cities now, and it's all fear-based. And I don't mean fear of getting blown up. I mean, like, they're a Muslim. If I talk to them, I'm going to get, like, Muslim on me. I'm going to get, like, some demon. 
I'm going to get some demonic thing on me because they, they worship a false God. And I can't, they, they just got back from their prayer meeting and it's going to ruin me. It's going to sully me somehow. And it's just all fear. It's just total, total fear. And I'm like, that is nowhere in here. That is nowhere in here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so it's important for us, I agree, and it's important for us then not to be legalistic or overly religious when we're reaching out to people, when we're discipling people. Don't shove our religious stuff on them. Um, the, the most famous example is when you know, Africa was originally, uh, most of the missionaries came from Britain, and they taught the African converts that to be a Christian meant you love Jesus, you prayed to God, you sat in pews, you wore shirts with collars, you wore a tie on Sunday, you had tea at 3 o'clock. That's what it meant to be a Christian. And to them, the missionaries, that was totally appropriate. That is what it means to be a Christian. But obviously that's silliness, right? That's imposing cultural stuff and religious stuff. You don't have to sit in pews. You don't have to dress up. Like, but to them, you did. That, that's showing God respect. They had reasons why that was appropriate, but that doesn't make it right. It, they're forcing their religious stuff on it. And Jesus is like, don't do that. Just see whatever they set before you. Don't even bring it up. Don't even bring it up. And um, I'm going to write a blog soon entitled Discipleship Through Drinking Beer. Um, Discipleship Through Drinking Beer. Um, and this didn't happen to me, but it happened to a friend who... He, he was one of those Christians that they wouldn't say drinking was a sin, but you sure had better not do it. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I will judge you if you do type of a thing. Um, and his, he's trying to reach out to his neighbor for a long time. And there's just, there's just a wall. There's, there's no way to get through it. He knows he's a pastor. He doesn't want anything to do with him, blah, blah, blah. And at one point, he's out doing yard work, and the guy said, hey, how you doing? They, they, they start chatting about the yard or whatever they're doing. And the guy says, hey, do you want a beer? which in our culture for a lot of guys is guy code for I'm willing to open up and talk to you, but I'm too afraid. But if we're standing next to each other looking at the same thing and not each other and drinking this beer, that's going to give us 15 to 20 minutes where we can share a little bit about our lives. And maybe we'll get a little deeper than what's wrong with the yard and this darn creeping Charlie. And maybe we'll start talking about our families and maybe we'll start talking about our jobs. And maybe after the second beer or the second or third time we do this, maybe I'll start sharing some of the things I'm struggling with and you can have an opening for I can pray about that for you. And so it can be a great thing. But this guy was like, he wanted to say no. And he said the Holy Spirit was like, yes, drink the beer. (laughs) And he's like, but God, no. And later he likened it to that vision of Peter. He's like, kill and eat. No, may it never be so, Lord. I shall not drink a divine beer. And, And Jesus, the Holy Spirit's like, drink the beer. Shut up. So dumb. He didn't say that, obviously, but I'm sure that's what he was thinking. Um, Because it's like, it's just a beer. Like, quit being so religious. This guy's going to open up to you now. This is a bridge. This This is the moment where he's inviting you in. This is the person of peace time. This is the eat whatever is set before you, or in this case, drink whatever is offered you. Now, obviously, if you have a past with alcohol that is bad, that does not apply to you. So let's not get silly. But ultimately, drink whatever's set before you. 
And, and, I, and, and I'm going to blog about this. And so, I mean, that can be a great thing. So that's an example of letting go of that religiosity stuff and being like, all right, if this is, if this is the way, you know. Right. For <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I will I will confess I, I enjoy flicking that religious spirit and <laughs> But sometimes I think God I think I think Jesus may have done that not to bring them fear, but to have them confront their fear before they go out. Exactly. Yep. Uh, I'm going to wrap up here because we're already over. But um, he ends with, so, so do this, drink whatever they said, and heal all the sick who are there. He doesn't say pray for the sick. He says heal the sick. It's a given, which is just amazing, right? Oh, by the way, heal all the sick. And then, verse 9, then say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So after you do all that stuff, after you've found the person of peace, you've blessed them, you've eaten in their home, you've hung out with their family, you've fellowshiped with them, you humbled yourself and accepted what they had to give you, you spent time with them, you talked to them, you healed them, and that's not necessarily a quick verse. That can take time, you know, especially if it's not physical healing. Sometimes that can happen right away, sometimes not. But emotional stuff, other things, that takes time. So you heal the sick, and then once you've proven to them that you love them, that you have their best in mind, once you've proven to them that they can trust you and they've given over some of that trust to you, then you tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. And I think that's the right order that we're supposed to do things in. I'm not saying you're supposed to muzzle yourself and not talk about God until you've done A, B, and C. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in general, when we're discipling people and reaching out to people, we start with all the love stuff. We don't start with what could be perceived as us shoving something down their throat that they're just not ready for yet. Wait for the harvest to be ready before you harvest it. Yeah. Yeah. 
from the hard sell, like used car salesman kind of thing, you know. That's good. So what I heard from that is I should be rich. That's what I heard. <laughs> In the spirit, yes. Okay. Um, we're, we're over time, so if anybody else has any questions, I'll let you save it till after we pray. But Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, especially when it's challenging, especially when it, it comes against ways we've looked at things in the past and ways we've seen things, maybe even ways we've been taught. We thank you that 2,000 years later, your word is still living and active and that your spirit can use it to challenge us and to change us and to make us more like Jesus, which is our desire. We want to be more and more like your son so that people would be drawn to us, so that we can bring peace, so that we can bring healing, so that we can bring love, and so that we can see more and more people come into your kingdom. And whether we're called primarily to reach out to people who aren't yet saved or whether we're called primarily to help disciple people who are already. I pray that you would help us um, to humble ourselves like you told the people to do in Luke 10. That we wouldn't get big-headed, that we wouldn't get religious about stuff, that we wouldn't get selfish, that we wouldn't get fearful either, that we would learn to rely on you and learn to live in peace and we do pray that we can get to the point where you say, heal all the sick, and we say, okay, and they all get healed. Because that would be fantastic. Pray that you would bless us this week. Heal us this week. Thank you, Lord, that my dad's shoulder feels better. After some prayer this morning, I pray that you would continue to heal him, continue to heal all of us, and help us to see our opportunities, Lord. I pray that you would help each of us to pray, who is a person of peace in my life? At, at my work, at school, one of my neighbors, who is that person of peace? Who is that person that might be a little bit open relationally to me? And then help us have the courage to look at that as a discipleship moment for that person and not as a project. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, gang.